You are now listening to Conscientization 101, an online magazine combining reflection, music, and action through independent media. It's uh, very important to be with conscious African women and men. And I'm very excited to see Conscientization 101, to see Sister Zari there and the brother James and uh, to see that you have started an organization to conscientize the world, especially African people about what's really going on in this world. Conscientization 101. A lot of these people right now in this conscious, so-called conscious movement, they're not actually living in that, in that lifestyle. Fakers. That's why, you know, obviously yourself, we're on the same sort of frequency. That's why you're listening to the same things I'm listening to because we're sharing that same sort of thought. We want the same sort of things and a lot of people don't want the same sort of things. Even yourself, what you're doing now is for the people. So everything is people-based. Globally conscientizing. What's making me proud of what um, this kind of connection here is that, you know... Well, no matter what is said, no matter what is done, um, you, you leave that, you leave listening to our music with a feeling. The same way we're going to leave this conversation with a feeling. Mm-hmm. And um, that is the most important thing you know, for, for I and I, the, the vibe and the energy and the feeling that you leave with. Because you might not remember every lyric, but you're going to remember the feeling. So um, that's, 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 that's really important, and that's what I'm getting from what you're doing. Doing, doing, doing. agenda and it's not a position of a, of a sovereign people 
is questioning this whole thing of leadership. We've watered down the concept of a leader. We have eruberized the concept of a leader. So that now, who we consider to be leaders, it's, it's um, you gotta be a star. And when I say a star, I don't mean a black star. I mean like Hollywood. That's what I mean. You gotta be popular, and you gotta say the popular things. See, I was trained by Nana John Henry Clark. And that gives me the power to say what I think is truth to my people. And that's what he did. Even when it was unpopular among our people, he had to tell the truth. But he said, uh-uh, watch out now. He ain't working for you. Watch out. And people came to him and they warned him. They said, um, um, Professor Clark, you really want to say that? You really want to take this position? He said, yeah. Because this is the truth. Now that's who I was trained by. So I got to do the same thing. Okay, but when we talk about leader now, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the person who wants to remain popular. We're talking about the person who may be glib, got away with words, but they're really not saying anything. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the person who develops this personality thing that makes them all about them. talking about the person who always wants to stay in the limelight. Person who's ego tripping. So I'm suggesting that we scratch that term. Leader. And that what we need are organizers. We need warriors. We need victors. what Mama Kobe said on Friday. We in it to win it. So we do whatever we have to do to make that happen. And we say whatever we know is truth or believe is truth or have thought about it. Okay? Problem is that the so-called leaders are not doing political analysis. They're not doing historical analysis. So therefore they're not in a position to be a vanguard. You see, they're not in a position to teach because they're not doing the work that you do when you want to take your people where they need to go. So I'm, I'm raising that here and I'm saying that we need to more think in terms of what we need to be in order to be warriors what we need to be in order to be organizers of our people and then one of the most important things is being visionaries that's what we're lacking if a person gets up in front of you and they say they purport to be your leader or somebody presents them as a leader you have a responsibility to confront them 
not in a negative way, but to say to them, what is your vision for our people? And I will guarantee you that most of the people now that are called leaders by the media would kind of uh, uh, scratch their head a bit. They would, you know, uh, shift a little and do all of that stuff because they have not thought about that and do not have a position with regard to what is a vision of victory for our people. You got to have that because that's what tells you how to who are supposed to be developing all of that don't do it. They don't have an agenda. So that everything they do is reacting to what the enemy does. You see? We have to even have a vision that goes beyond the presence and existence of Urugu. We have to be able to envision a world with no Urugu. An African world, then what do we want it to look like? What do we want for our children? In our world, we have to have the, the courage to construct our own reality. And that's what Garvey was talking about. Because he said he looked around, he didn't see what he thought should be there. And so what did he do? He didn't, he didn't get depressed about it. He didn't get defeated about it. He said, I'm going to build the, the, the government that we need to have. Hello, welcome everyone to another episode of the Conscientization 101 Podcast. I'm your host for this episode, James Stone, Senior Editor, along with Zari Sundiata, Managing Editor of Conscientization 101. And if you couldn't already tell from the intro, we got something very special planned for you on this episode. All right, back in 2016, we produced a set of musical commentaries that we made available for free, and we called them, wait for it, wait for it, free gift. All right, yes, don't, you know, why reinvent the wheel, right? <laughs> so we called a free gift, and this free gift were tracks that we produced, and we got um, some uh, lecture uh, uh, footage from Dr. Marimba, who you just heard at the beginning of the show, 
Dr. Amos Wilson, and Dr. John Henry Clark. Um, what you heard at the beginning of the show was the track entitled Dr. Marimbani on African Warriors on that free gift compilation. It's actually three tracks, like we just said. Dr. Amos Wilson, Dr. Marimbani, and Dr. John Henry Clark. And we put it to music. So in conjunction with our already, you know, we're already doing some curating of particular lectures, doing some digitally remastering of the lectures and stuff like that so we can preserve them. And also in conjunction with that free gift, it's kind of the same thing, right? We go on YouTube, we find uh, lectures that we find find very exhilarating and conscientizing and uh, we digitally remastered them. And, you know, the free gift was us doing the same thing, except we digitally remastered and produced music to the lectures and created a whole track. So we decided let's feature uh, those free gift tracks that we made with digitally remastered lectures from each one of the participants on the track. That's Dr. Mermbani, Dr. Amos Wilson, and Dr. John Henry Clark. And let's make a whole series out of it. We decided to call the series the Audio Praxis Series. We got the term Audio Praxis from Ayikwe Armaz, Remembering the Dismembered Continent. And uh, he defines it as, quote, 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 The translation of ideas systematically embraced into structured behavior and lifestyle. Ideal praxis is the yardstick that separates revolutionary performers from phonies. And quote, page 75 to 76. So the ideal praxis is us digitally remastering lectures of the three individuals that's featured on our free gift. And so track number one of the free gift is Dr. Marimba Ani. And so today... Adhering to this established sequential order that we did with the free gift, we present part one of a two-part digitally remastered presentation of Dr. Marimba Ani's African critically acclaimed book, Urugu, an African-centered critique of European cultural thought and behavior. And I'm glad we were able to digitally remaster this lecture because... Um, the audio quality was, was, was pretty bad so we were able to digitally remaster it and we also understand the reason why like we always point out in, the, in our curating we like to digitally remaster because we understand that people are busy and a lot of times it's hard to listen to like a three hour lecture I know we're crazy enough to do it and the audio quality and the audio quality is pretty bad and coming in only on one ear but we understand that some people, we want to get this uh, uh, this information is so important. We want to get it to people in pristine ways. And also, uh, uh, with the podcast uh, uh, mode of media uh, um, transmission, it's able to bookmark it so you can you know you can you can leave it where it is if you have to do something and come right back and pick up pick back pick back right up where you left off. So I think that's very important when you're trying to get this information, not information just to consume information, but for conscientization, conscientization, put get the right theory for practice. It's all about development. And I want to tell you a little bit how I came into uh, uh, knowing about the book, Urugu. One of my friends who actually, uh, uh, back in the day, about now that would be about uh, 17 years ago, he had went to Morehouse. And you gotta understand some people to my people uh, listening uh, abroad, 
Texas is not Atlanta, okay? My boy is from Texas, but he went to school at Morehouse, and he's five years older than me. And so, you know, he was around the black books and all that time during that time and stuff like that because it was in the early 90s when he was in a, a, a college, and I was still in damn junior high. So he told me about the book Urugu and stuff like that. And, you know, I was finally able to um, uh, get a hold of the book and got a hold of the book. And it was like, man, there's a lot of that's where I first learned the word axum and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, this is this is a pretty difficult book. Right. But then, you know, fast forward, I start I read a lot and got involved with a lot of other stuff. And, you know, I came back to Urugu and it was crystal clear. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the basic premise that I like to take away from the book that I thought I was coming up with something new was that uh, uh, I was like, yeah, Europeans see themselves as universal and stuff like that when it's just a, uh, the cultural particularity of Europe. And guess what? That's what Urugu is saying. You know what I'm saying? That's how they dominate you. All right. Now you got that little anecdote of how we uh, learned about the book. Let's talk about the presentation, shall we? Shall we? Shall we? All right, the presentation uh, you're about to hear was given circa January 1995, right after Brother Amos Wilson made his uh, transition to the ancestor realm, and it was hosted by the Association for the Study of Classical African Civilizations, ASCAC. All right, now what we want to do here is give you a little bit more info about Marimba Ani's book, Urugu. Urugu removes the mask from the European facade and thereby reveals the inner workings of global white supremacy, a system which functions to guarantee the control of Europe and her descendants, the few, over the majority of the world's peoples, the many. It is a devastating critique which uniquely focuses on the intellectual cognitive rules by which this system of dominance operates. The Assumption, Ascendance, and Valorization of the Rational Mode. Dr. Marimba Ani exposes the roles of both the academic and Christian establishment in proselytizing as quote-unquote universal, that which is indeed culturally specific to Europe and which therefore functions in the interest of European dominance, since that is the nature of the Asili. All right, so we got that from the back of the book. That's the blurb on the back of the book. But also there's another blurb on the back of the book from Brother Kobe K.K. Cambone. And as you know, we read his book uh, last year, and it's in our library. The book, as you may know, is called African Black Psychology in the American Context, African-Centered Approach. All right, so let's hear what Brother Cambone had to say about Urugu. Dr. Marimba Ani has written the first bona fide textbook from an African-centered framework which focuses on European consciousness, the European worldview, and its global system of race domination. This book is an original, scholarly, comprehensive, and thorough analysis which lays out in systematic detail the historical development and pattern of European world domination its core structures, and key expressive components. She particularly articulates very clearly the nature of the European survival thrust, quote-unquote, in terms of its philosophical core, methodology, basic tactics, expressions, and consequences. Her book represents the final key to the African world breaking the death grip of European world domination over Africans. 
This brilliant and courageous effort on the part of our distinguished sister warrior is must-reading for all African Black Studies students and faculty, and all serious-minded Africans everywhere who are dedicated and committed to rebuilding African world order. It will definitely become an essential part of the handbook for Africans surviving the 21st century. All right, that was Brother Kobe, K.K. Cambone, okay? Now, what we want to do now is read you a brief Vitae bio from our beloved sister, Dr. Marimba Aini. Marimba Aini is a retired professor of African Studies at Hunter College, where she taught in the Department of Africana, Puerto Rican, and Latino Studies for 25 years. She received a BA degree in philosophy from the University of Chicago and MA and PhD degrees in anthropology from the New School University. She was also the director of the African Heritage After School Program in Harlem, New York for 16 years. Marimba Ani was also a member of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee in Mississippi. She is credited with coining the term Mayafa to describe the African Holocaust. All right. Now let's get into what Dr. Murumbani will be discussing in part one of Yorugu. She will be discussing how all analysis is based in a particular worldview. How culture is political and ideological. She defines the African worldview and how she came to name the book Yorugu. She also corrects the fallacy that Western culture is universal and she discusses the importance of understanding why facts are not the same thing as truth and much more. All right, so this is this is the beginning of our Audio Praxis series. Remember what Audio Praxis is. You put those ideas, that theory into practice in your everyday life. We are not just promoting this book and promoting these ideas just for meal consumption so you can look cute and talk bougie talk, okay? We want you to hook up with like-minded sisters and brothers and build so we can come together. That's how nationalism is built. That's how we build it. You gotta have the conception of nation first. Don't worry, power begins on a level of conception. You gotta be able to conceive it. And from conceiving that power, then you build it. You see what I'm saying? That's why this is the beginning of the audio praxis series because we said we took that we produced those tracks of these dynamic african uh revolutionary scholars and revolutionaries put them together to music that we produce we produce the music we didn't say oh I wish somebody would produce the music and we could win a grammy why don't they produce us we did it ourselves and that's what we got to learn to do when we do this nationalism Get with other people who are producing stuff they sell, like we do on Conscientization 101, the people we feature. They ain't crying, they produce it they sell, and they ain't looking for acceptance, they ain't begging for acceptance. Dr. Marimba need begging for acceptance. This is the Audio Praxis series, and we are proud to kick it off with Dr. Marimba Ani's Yurugu Lecture. Let's go, part one begins now. Yeah. We have been socialized to perceive that we're equal. That that was an important goal to achieve. Reading this book, hopefully you'll be saved from that illusion. 
I don't believe that you can defeat an enemy or find your liberation without a thorough understanding of your oppressor. You cannot recapture your African mind if you do not know the worldview, the philosophy, and explanation for the behavior of your oppressor. A sister said to me tonight, one of the Africans in this world we live in now, one of the problems that Africans have is that we do not understand the difference between ourselves and the Eastern and the Western white man. The Eastern and the Western white man. I believe that the answer to many of these questions are thoroughly explained, thoroughly documented, thoroughly referenced in this book, Urugu. Having studied as thoroughly as possible, and I believe studying isolated and singularly by yourself is not enough. That's why one of the reasons why I'm a member of this organization. But what bit of knowledge I've gained, I see this as being one of the classic works that has been put together, like that of Sheikh Diop and Chancellor Williams and so forth and so on. You know the people. This is, for me, the book of the year, maybe the book of the decade. Therefore, it gives me great pleasure, great honor, to bring to you this humble sister, this queen, this scholarly warrior, Sister Dr. Marimba Ani. Put your hands begin with uh, libation, which, which we didn't do yet. Okay, so Brother Richard is going to do that. What we will ask you to do in pouring this libation is for each one of you to call an ancestor, one known to you and one known to us all, and that will invoke the ancestors with us. Nan Williams. Delphine Douglas Richards. John G. Jackson. Marcus Maurice Bishop. Harriet Frederick Douglas. Nanny. Malcolm X. Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Let our words 
sound vibrations be heard by them and let them be informed for now to receive the message that the sister I need presides. Medasi, Medasi. Hotel, everyone. Hotel. Okay. 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 We greet each other in the languages of our ancestors. We begin to use the languages of our ancestors and that begins to shape our consciousness as it was meant to be. You can't hear the, um, you can't hear me speak. The drums are interfering with you hearing me speak. Oh, good. I'm glad. Sorry. Um, I say Madasi to uh, the uh, chapter study group of ASCAC for having me here. Madasi is thank you in tree language of the Akan people now mostly in Ghana, also in Togo, Asante Sana, in Kiswahili. And I say, Madasi, to all of you who have come here this evening, it's wonderful to see you. Uh, I have a, we have an after-school program in Harlem this is our 12th year. It's called the African Heritage After School Program. And one of the very first youngsters to be in the program is here this evening, uh, my daughter, Karimu. I call her my daughter. Uh, Karimu, would you stand up? Very, very proud of uh, these young people. The very first peak place that we met was in a little store called Harlem Graphic Arts. It was on 125th Street, and you had to walk upstairs to get to it. Uh, much, much smaller than the room that we're in now. Um, not really even half this size, because it was very narrow. If you could picture that, uh, maybe a quarter of the size of this room. Um, and it was owned and run by Brother Amos Wilson. And we needed space, and he allowed us to be there. We would come there on Tuesdays and Fridays for two hours each, and we would put up a curtain, and we would sit behind the curtain with the youngsters. They were between the ages of six and 10. Karimu remembers all of this. Um, while people would come in to buy books and to do copying and, and so forth in the front part. Um, this is one of my memories of Brother Amos. So we were close, we worked closely together. He and I before that had gone to graduate school together at the New School for Social Research. Uh, Amos was um, above all a critical thinker. 
I mean, I think that was the power of who he was, um, intensely so. So it is, it is um, very appropriate that we should be talking about uh, critical thinking, as Brother Richard has, has said tonight. Um, this Sunday at 4 p.m. on 125th Street in the heart of Harlem at the Victoria Theater, there will be a celebration of Amos, his spirit, and the work that he um, has given us. Um, so anybody who wants to just take the drive up to New York, just be there, and uh, the community will be there. That's the Victoria Theater. It's in the same block as the Apollo, 125th Street, at 4 p.m. And I do believe that some people um, are planning to go, so you might want to talk to people after um, today. Um, one of the things, we, we call the spirits of the ancestors because we believe that they are a part of our community, that uh, we are not whole unless they are with us, and that we need their energy to um, make us strong and to keep us focused. So when we pour libation, it's real. Um, it is not just a matter of honoring people um, and, and calling their names for that purpose, but it is also calling forth their energy. Um, and we need to understand um, these kinds of concepts um, more. We need to get more deeply into who we are. And as Brother Richard said, the African worldview. One of the things that we also believe is that the African life is a process of transformation. Um, we go through a series of transitions in our life. Brother Amos is now beginning a, a transition. And he, that his spirit needs our spirit to help him make the transition. So if you can be aware of that. And as we, we have these celebrations, these ceremonies, that's what we're doing. We're helping uh, that process to take place as it should take place. Um, so understand that you need to participate in that. You need to meditate on that. You need to pour libation um, for his spirit uh, daily. In fact, you should be pouring libation daily anyway. Um, and we can talk more about that at another time. Now, um, I want to take you on a journey this evening. Um, it will take a while. I hope that you have the patience and the seriousness to, um, to come with me on that journey. I think that you do. It's wonderful to see you, to see your faces and to feel your spirit. So trust me and come with me. Critical analysis is what we're talking about, as well as critical thinking. I'm going to focus on analysis. You cannot effectively analyze anything critically without having a frame of reference. You must begin with a frame of reference, come from a frame of reference. It's where you're coming from. It is your foundation. It's what allows you to think. 
it is a context, and it is only within the context that things become meaningful. And it is a context which allows you to focus your thought. For us, the African worldview centers us in the African paradigm that is model for thinking. The African paradigm model is a basis for conceptualization. By that word, we simply mean how we think about thought, what we think truth is, what we think reasoning is. So that all critique, all analysis, proceeds from a conceptual framework. And we now, as African people, need to consciously construct our own conceptual framework. We have been using a Eurocentric conceptual framework without understanding that that's what we have been doing. That brings us then to the reality, the concept of culture, how important culture is. Culture is a context for us. It is where life takes on meaning. It is what gives us order in our lives. It is what unifies us. It is what identifies us, that is, gives us a sense of identity, tells us who we are, what it is that we should be doing. If we were centered in our culture, we would understand that we were at war, that we are at war. But without being centered in our culture, we don't understand that, so we don't know how to behave. We don't know that we need to identify the enemy who has already identified us as victim. So that culture directs our collective behavior and commits us, commits us, gives our lives commitment, a sense of commitment, gives us near, gives us purpose. And it is therefore political. Culture is political. Culture is not something you do aside, something you do in museums. It's not peripheral. It is not tangential. It is the center. Culture is political and it is ideological. Every group of people that are part of a culture are also part of and share a worldview. And that worldview is the way in which they relate to and define reality. The way they understand the universe and the definitions of reality with which they work and that they use. So the two concepts of culture and worldview are very important. It is how culture relates to thought and that is very much a part of what it is that we will be talking about 
this evening. So we want to move then to just briefly, what is the nature of the African worldview? Why are we doing this? Because we must center ourselves if we are to engage in critical analysis. Where are we going to center ourselves? In the African worldview. In the African worldview, we conceive of the universe as a spiritual whole as a unified spiritual whole. And it is spirit which connects things, which joins things. It is a connecting force. We understand that as African people. We, as African people, are affirmed by the natural order. And we, indeed, affirm the natural order. And the natural order is the basis of a maotic order. A maotic order, which you know as truth, justice, righteousness, harmony, right order, balance, maat. Our universe we understand to be spiritually based. It is life-giving and life-receiving. And so the principle of reciprocity is very important for us. The power that we get, we get through connectedness. That's very, very important. Because what we're going to be doing is contrasting this worldview with the European mindset, with what is called the Utamawazo in the book, Yurugu. The symbolic forms allow us as African people to reach to the depths of truth, layers of truth. The universe is multidimensional. It is not limited to the outer, to the surface, to the superficial for African people, for the African mind. We must think deeply. We seek to our, attain harmonious development. And having been affirmed by nature, all we have to do is to be in tune with ourselves, with our African selves, and we will be in tune with the universe. Life, again, is a process of personal transformation where we move towards and from the universal life force, the source. So these are some of the aspects of the African worldview where the lineal is enveloped within the cyclical and the spiral so that our sacred concepts are non-lineal concepts. We transcend the lineal. The self for us is a communal self and a cosmic self. It is not an isolated ego. And we are accountable. We are accountable to Ma'at. And we know things through the rhythm. Through the rhythm of understanding. The rhythm of feeling. The rhythm which joins. The rhythm of the drum. And metaphor, symbol, becomes the statement of the deepest truth.
It is said by the Dogon people that in the beginning, Ama, the creator, the creative principle, created the first beings, the primordial beings, according to the sacred and divine principle of complementarity, giving every one of those beings a male and a female soul, so that every primordial being had twin souls. But in this process of creation, there was one of these primordial beings who in his arrogance aborted himself from the process of gestation. And so took himself away before he was complete, before indeed he had the female twin soul. And he sought to create an earth which was more perfect than that which Amma could create. But it, as he began to do his work, he realized that the beings which he created were deficient, were incomplete, as he was deficient and incomplete so that he was unable, indeed, to create a world in order or in a state of harmony. Realizing this, he returned to Amma, seeking his female twin soul. But Amma had given that soul away. According to some versions of this story, Amma then used that female twin soul in unison with a male soul to perfect earth. But that soul was no longer accessible to this being. And so he was destined to search eternally for the wholeness, the completion, which could never be his. That being is Urugu. On reading that, I knew that the title of this book had to be Urugu. And I was moved, we were moved, to create the conceptual framework that involved the Asili, the concept of the Asili, the cultural seed. And this conceptual framework allows us to unmask Urugu to see Urugu for what he really is, to understand how he works. And more importantly, how 
he affects us. That is what we need to be about now. So the analysis which we came up with, the Asili analysis, I call it, helps us to see consistency, helps us to see pattern in European behavior. It tells us about the logic of the culture, how the culture works. And it helps us to ask the right questions. The Asili approach or analysis in this way becomes a grounding presence, a centering concept. Helps us to understand how Urugu is different from us. The Asili concept is the key to explain their behavior. And it allows us at the same time to be comprehensive. It always provides a context within which we place European behavior, European institutions, so that we can understand them. The Asili concept allows us to particularize Europe. That is very important because what they have done is to present themselves to us as being universal. So we're not sure when we're looking at them and when we're looking at ourselves and when we're looking at something which is true for all people. We must learn to recognize them specifically for what they are. We must learn to be able to see their expressions of nationalism. We must be able to recognize their statements of political interest, which they couch in terms of objectivity. We must learn to be able to identify expressions of their ideology which are their commitments, not ours. So that the Asili concept then is both analysis in that it enables us to understand various aspects of the culture and it is synthesis in that it allows us to bring it all together and to understand it as a whole. The approach then to this study is ideological in focus. It is political. We are at war. It reveals the monolithic or singleness, the monolithic nature of the culture. And we look more specifically at how they have used a concept of truth to promote their own culture and their own nationalism. And then told us that they were being universal. Defined this truth that they created, this so-called truth in universalistic terms, a phony universalism. Said that they, it was non-cultural non-political or apolitical. And so, again, the concept of objectivity, one of the most 
pernicious, dangerous, effective concepts that the European came up with. And so what we're going to do now is to move through this analysis to analyze the manufacturing of European power, to understand the mechanisms of European world domination. How does it work? Why is it successful? And then ultimately, we need to look at the spiritual implications of this system. And it's, a, it's the implications of us internalizing it for our consciousness. The European cultural construct is based on a concept of truth, which implies European power over African people. That is what we will argue. Their energy comes from destruction and it becomes destructive, and it is destruction. They are the destroyers, as Aikwe Arma would tell us. Get and read the book, 2000 Seasons. Their culture is a culture based on death without rebirth. They are the desert which knows no giving. The system of domination is successful because everything in the culture works for one single purpose, and that is the achievement of European power. Everything in the culture is focused on the achievement of that power. Everything is for that purpose. It is single-purposed. And power here is defined as power over other. That's very important. That is critical. Power over other. We have to ask the question, what is truth? For each culture, each people, each race defines truth and the method for reaching that truth. We can have a definition of truth which is spiritual and which is joining. It is possible also to have a definition of truth which is materialistic and separating. They achieve different purposes and they are for different purposes. The European definition of truth has no spirit, no rhythm. It is conceived in the denial of spirit. And they have no concept of ma'at. They have defined truth in the image of who they are and who is Urugu. 
What did we say about Urugu? Incomplete. The incomplete being. As they define truth in their image, then they become the truth. They become the smartest. They become the most intelligent of beings. You see how it works. But here you have a truth that lacks spirit, has no connectedness, no relatedness. You can treat everything, can regard everything as dead, lifeless matter, as the object. The concept of the object is extremely important in understanding European thought and how that thought sets the world up for their power. The object is that which can be manipulated, that which can be controlled. It is a thing. So we're going to look at the relationship between culture and thought. We're going to demonstrate how this Asili analysis works. We're going to understand how Europeans have, through their thought system, restructured reality, restructured the world in their image, an image which is spiritually deficient. Now, if they define truth in terms of a negation of spirit, and we are a spiritual people, then what does that do to us? We will understand European thought as it supports European imperialistic behavior. And so with that, let's get started with the work that we have to do this evening. turned it. Okay. What had to happen was that we had to create our own conceptual model. Would it make sense for us to say that we were critiquing Europe and use the concepts that Europe had given us? No, it would not make sense. And for us to really um, free our minds, emancipate ourselves from mental slavery, as Bob Marley has told us to do. We must create our own models of thought. We must reconceptualize. So here we have a conceptual model based in an African feeling for reality, using um, metaphorically the symbol of the seed, the seed as origin, as essence. <coughs> Here, the seed is understood to be the logos, or that which explains everything in the culture, the asili. 
It is that which helps us to make sense of their reality. That which explains how everything in the culture fits. <clears throat> so we, this is going to enable us to look at European culture from our frame of reference, in our terms. The Assyri is, in a sense, the DNA of culture. It is the template, the model. It is the matrix, okay, within which the various aspects of the culture take shape. This Asili, this cultural seed, once having been planted, if you will, seeks to fulfill itself and will do that through the various forms of the culture as they are developed. <coughs> Remember that it is the ideological core. So it allows us then to take an aspect of culture and to see what is its ideological significance. Not anything objective, universal, but how is it expressing the will of Europe or of any particular culture that we are talking about. You can see the meaning of the term. The Utamarojo then is one of the ways in which the Asili manifests itself. It is the energy that keeps the culture going. It is affective, having to do with motivation. It is the will, you can see that, the vital principle. It is the Asili as energy. The Utamawazo culturally structured thought is the way that the members of the culture have to think if the, the Asili is going to be fulfilled. If the Asili is going to fulfill itself, then the members of the culture must think in this way. That's the Utamawazo. It is important that as we reconceptualize that we use, learn to use African languages, African concepts in African terms. Using those terms will help us begin to rethink, begin to return to our centers. Next slide, please. And now what we do is that we take the conceptual framework and we apply it to Europe. In other words, now it becomes specific. And so we seek to identify, well, what is the nature of the European Asili? What have we already said about Urugu? Incomplete. Incomplete being. 
deficient. So Urugu then must seek to compensate for that deficiency. Cannot do it spiritually because they lack it in spirit, right? So they do it in an attempt to experience control, power over other. The term there, entropic, I took it from a concept in physics which talks about energy that cannot be used for work, energy, um, it's an energy process that moves towards disorder. At any rate, I said I would use it. Um, and so that we can understand their acely functioning um, from an energy that, that feeds on disorder. Okay, feeds on destruction. You have the incompleteness, the disharmony, a disconnectedness. You see, a chronic disconnectedness to the from the forces which would give a different kind of energy. Okay? And then we move then to the Utamaroho. This is an Utamaroho, an energy that feeds off of tension, off of conflict. They can't know harmony. You understand that? Cannot experience feeling of harmony. It is unbalanced, always in a state of imbalance. At the same time, well, let's move to the Utamawazo on the, on the right-hand side. This is the cognitive, the thought, how the Asili manifests itself as thought. Remember, there is no interrelationship. There is no cosmic view. A cosmic view of reality gives you interrelationship and interdependence. So what they have is, is always separation and dis disconnectedness. Knowledge in this system becomes an act of aggression. That is, it's power over the object. Now, if that's the case, then you've got to have an object to have power over. And that means that you've got to have separation. So everything in their system of thought is based on separation. Where does that separation begin? It begins in the self. They split the self, they dichotomize themselves, separate themselves as though reason and emotion were separate. And we even find ourselves talking like that, but that's not true. The African conception tells us there is a whole person, so these things are part of each other. They have to visualize it as being separate. Okay, so first you make the separation, you make the splits, then you make them what we call hierarchical, or you put it like this, where one is better than the other. One is superior, the other is inferior. 
then the logic of this system says that the superior one should have power over the inferior one. Okay, the one that you value should control the one that is devalued. That's the key. Once we understand that process, you can understand everything that they do, everything that they say, and everything that they write and think and so forth. All the so-called philosophies that people try to say are different, they come from that culture. They're all the same in this regard. So that the thinking is confrontational. We go back to African worldview, we have complementary pairs. As Amma created people with the, the, the female principle and the male principle working together. So the societies then have the female and the, and the male working together cooperatively. That's got to be our model. This model says no. Got to be separation and confrontation. It says fanatically rationalistic. What does that mean? Rationalism here is not reason. Rationalism is the um, imposition of the control onto the universe. The imposition of the mental order of the European onto the universe. It's saying that things were created for you, by you, you become God where you are the European. And that they were created in the way that you think about them. So it is not a way of thinking where you try to become in tune with the universe. It is one where you impose your own mental order on the universe. That is what rationalism is. But you see there is this need for control. And the need for control comes from the deficiency in the being, the deficiency in the, um, in the Asili, okay? Since knowledge is an act of power, then it is necessary to have something that you're having power over. What is that? That is the object. The object becomes the most important thing for them, creating this object. What is the object? We said before, it is a dead thing something which is disconnected, something you're remote from, you have no emotional involvement with. That's the object. For them, that is all that you can know is the object, this dead thing. This thing which disconnects you from the rhythm of the universe. The object is that which disconnects you from the senses. If you look in the dictionary, look up the word object and see, you'll see some very interesting things there. The object breaks the rhythm. It is the rhythm that the European cannot deal with. And so what they have to do is to reconstruct things so that they have the illusion that, well, I don't have to deal with that. That's okay, and I can know truth. So they redefine truth. We're ready to, uh, no, let's hold it. Another um, implication of this is that there is in this system no symbolic sense. You see, symbols are what takes us to deeper levels of, of reality. 
but the European conception is a limited consciousness. It stays at one level, the literal level, the superficial level. According to the Dogon, this was called the level of Jiri So, word at face value. But then for the Dogon people, for African people, you have Beni So, word from the side. That's another level. You have boloso, word from behind, that's seeing through, penetrating, that's another level. And then you have sodai, which is the clear word, and that's a deeper level still. And for the Dogon people, you move, you see, through this process, getting deeper and deeper. Until then, you are finally prepared to begin studying and learning and receiving sacred knowledge, which is the knowledge of creation and how, how beings in the creation interact with each other and the purpose of human existence. The purpose of human existence. The question which all of European science has never been able to deal with and doesn't even consider to be an important issue. So that without this symbolic sense, without this connectedness, they are unable to move beyond the level of Jiri So. Okay. And now, let us go to the next slide. people <coughs> who have them have the book with them at the beginning of the book this is the first chart now this one is dealing with what I would call the process of objectification objectification is what they do to the universe this restructuring to make it into their image to make it something that they can control so let's see what happens here and by the way, a good background for understanding a lot of this is um, let the circle be unbroken. Um, some of you, you, you know what it is I'm talking about. It's a small book. You can hold that up. But, but in that, I'm dealing with the African worldview. That, this is the book, and, and it was on sale back there before. I don't know if it's still there. Um, because... You know, we always begin with the African worldview. That's, that's your key. That'll help you. That's the foundation. Okay? Now, um, let's begin. The universe we know is a cosmos. We know that it is spiritual. We know that. Okay? But what they do is to take out spirit in their heads. They say there's no such thing as spirit. And that helps us then in this process of creating the object or of objectification or objectifying the universe. <clears throat> they begin with what they say is the thinking being and take away the idea of spirit. And they say they end up with the knower. And the brother's absolutely right. Descartes says, Je pense, donc, je suis, ergo, 
Cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore I am. That's what that's all about. And that's how they identify the human being. Minus all the other stuff that's supposed to be there. Reality, they take out of context. You see, it's context which is meaningful. And they end up with a fact. Now, that's what they tell you in school. They say the facts, that's the most important thing. But for them, for the European, that's all that they can know. They say that's the highest. Yet a fact is something that has absolutely no meaning until you put it into a context. Think about that. Yet they want us to identify this thing called a fact with truth. Our truth is much too deep for that. That would leave us at the level of Jerry So. It's simplistic level. It's a reductionist level that they function on, but that gives them the illusion of control, of power. So then we have phenomena or the way the universe presents itself to us through experience. You disconnect that, you see, again, from the universe, from a meaningful context, and you end up with this object that is created. In that process then, according to them, you are able to then have, be capable of pure rational thought. And it is the thinking being then becomes the European controlled ego. Now in that box underneath where it says European controlled ego, I guess people in the back can't see these slides at all. That's really unfortunate. If you have your books, try to follow along. But the European controlled ego, the idea is that they are able to control their emotional being. So then we get into that. Like that's what, you know, you're too emotional. Don't be emotional, right? They say that they can detach themselves from the senses. So this ego detaches itself from the senses. In denial of spirit, which that ego fears, they are afraid of spirit. They then say that they can dominate the object, the objectified other. They can dominate nature. They can dominate us. This is an illusion that is created. But the entire culture is about how that illusion works for them. The box that goes further down says how this is fulfilled through the propagation, the affirmation, the perpetuation of this concept of objective truth, which we fall for, we go running after this objective truth. And that is actually based on a denial of spiritual reality. It is predicated on self-alienation, separation from the self. It is, in fact, a method of control, which the, the Asili needs. It implies 
the devaluation of the African self. It implies the devaluation of the African source of knowledge, which indeed is spirit. And it is a concept of truth which justifies African enslavement and African exploitation. And that is basically what is being argued in the book, Yoruba. And it is very important to understand the role of the academy, that is, so-called institutions of higher learning, in this process of the justification of European behavior. So that the process of objectification that we're looking at here is the process through which the object is created. Because it doesn't exist, they create it. Okay? And that process and the concept is sustained by the academy. This is a closed system, a system which is self-perpetuating. If you feel your spirit and you listen to your spirit, you will be able to totally repudiate this system. But we have to regain confidence, trust, faith in who we are as African people. Now, if we are concerned with our awakening, it's because we've been asleep. Now, we were put to sleep by historical catastrophes. And you know, when people get into an accident, they need to go to sleep in order to survive the accident. If you are totally conscious when it happens, you won't survive. How many lives will be lost to them are uneasy? It's way bigger than the pain that I place on the CD. If I told you all the truth, would you really believe me? It's still my hunger measy, it's still my hunger measy How many lives will be lost to them my hunger measy? It's way bigger than the pain that I place on the CD If I told you all the truth, would you really believe me? It's still my hunger measy, it's still my hunger measy My hunger measy mean an African holocaust Cause we paid a hell of a cost And don't really know what was lost and the process ain't ever stopped since black civilization dropped for internal greed and external plot. The same ones that taught the ancient Greeks, Greece and Rome helped bring to the knees, then Islam spread across northern Africa. With slavery and massacres, too many hurt, refused to convert, spread south and west, people dispersed. Christianity's not alone in using race and religion for power to expand. Desert caravans took slaves across sand, where they staged a revolt at the Zanj. Enemies always invented mythologies, curse of Ham, so-called prophecy. After the migration, there was some reinstatement of autonomous nations. Then floating on the waves of the seas Came a plague, a genocidal disease With arms and heads, they looked like men Really they were just dogs on two legs When they first came, some of our people said go Most welcomed them into our homes We didn't know, they had hearts of stone Frozen by Western Europe's cold Also, there were scumbags among us Willing to work for white conquerors on us With that collaboration began the largest forced migration In the history of nations How many lives will be lost to them are uneasy It's way bigger than the pain that I place on the CD 
If I told you all the truth, would you really believe me? It's the Mahonga Measy, it's the Mahonga Measy How many lives will be lost to the Mahonga Measy? It's way bigger than the pain that I place on the CD If I told you all the truth, would you really believe me? It's the Mahonga Measy how many millions dead at the bottom of the ocean Thrown overboard like property stolen and jumped overboard Rather than be sold on a mother with a baby in arms Hold on, what awaited was not just enslavement But a genocidal impulse craving They committed unspeakable abuses To make a nigger from an African human Took a woman ready to give birth Tied her limbs to four posts, held firm In the main square, made every slave watch Covered her in raw meat, loud dogs If anyone watching, even a relative Made a sound, killed them for the hell of it This was every day, not the exception The science of gynecology was perfected On black women no anesthetic Said a nigga bitch Couldn't feel pain pathetic Hang a man from a tree Cut off his penis Force people to eat Their own feces Put people in zoos In a cage Chimpanzee Black human ape And it was upon this Here atrocity Europe became the dominant economy Now they play games Pretend it's about names It's a scheme for unequal trade Imagine the largest companies today If all of their employees Got no pay For all of the centuries Profit was made Black skin was always Branded slave Even the child of the masters Rape could be killed and sold Cause black blood in the veins But the ancestors Fought back got free Probably ain't heard of Jean-Jacques Dessalines Probably don't know The Haitian Revolution Caused the French To sell half of America Nor the role That Africans played In the Civil War For that same America If you ain't heard In any of the Maroons Or Bogle Probably believe What they told you But if they set Africans free Cause all of a sudden They grew a conscience Tell me this Why were the masters Given compensation And those who suffered Not given a thing Why did they then Invade Africa Make African slaves In their own homes With the Belgians Killing 10 million souls In the Congo alone Why then Jim Crow Why apartheid Why did Black Wall Street Burn that night Why collaborate Will work for such evil Willing to be tools Against their own people Why Africom Imperialism for the new age With a brown face on it That's right Imperialism for the new age With a brown face on it How many lives will be lost To the Mahonga Measy It's way bigger than the pain That I place on the CD If I told you all the truth Would you really believe me It's the Mahonga Measy It's the Mahonga Measy How many lives will be lost To the Mahonga Measy It's way bigger than the pain that I place on the CD If I told you all the truth, would you really believe me? It's the Mahongamese some will try their best to justify this torture Asking you who the slaves were brought from Is if we don't know, tell them, get the hell out Every genocide ever has had sellouts And the largest wars of humans were fought between people of Western Europe So by your rationale, it's cool to kill Frenchmen They kill Germans that look like them Absurd, right? But when your skin's white Different set of rules you can't abide by Dark suffering's not humanized No surprise, we still see ourselves through their eyes Darkies became legally human During the course of our parents' life And the freedoms we have only occur Because the ancestors spilled the blood to the earth Change that much? So sure, the world's darker people still the most poor. So it's our task to put an end to this. Even those like me with a heritage mix if a knife's in your back, nine inches, and it's only been pulled out six. When the wound starts healing and we stop bleeding and bleaching, can it begin to fix? When the plague of self-hate's no longer a weight so great, push you to kill one another. When we put a stop to fool's charity, to give with one hand and one with the other. When the IMF World Bank, along with the puppets, no longer strangle our nations. When the invaders don't have military bases in so many places. When the jail cells are packed with black backs and the gats and the crack and the longer factors when we celebrate true self-determination not a few token big part actors when the truth is told and there is the dignity to remember the dead as long as they're distorting the past means they have the intention of doing it again how many lives will be lost to the Mahongamese it's way bigger than the pain that I place on the CD if I told you all the truth would you really believe me it's the Mahongamese it's the Mahongamese how many lives will be lost to the Mahongamese it's 
way bigger than the pain that I place on the CD. If I told you all the truth, would you really believe me? It's the Mahonga Measy. It's the Mahonga Measy. All right, that concludes part one of our digitally remastered presentation from Sister Dr. Marimba Anis Yurugu in our Audio Praxis series. All right, now this episode has featured music from. Conscientization 101, music from our free gift collection. The title track is Dr. Marimba Aini on African Warriors and Decolonize This, Properly Defining Settlers, Part 1, from our Musical Commentaries Collection. Akala Maangamizi from his album The Thieves' Banquet. Links to featured music are in our show notes, and we also included links to Dr. Marimba Aini's Yurugu and her book Let the Circle Be Unbroken in the show notes. In addition, we have links to Aikwe Armas' 2000 Seasons because, as Mama Rambani said, you have to read that book because uh, Brother Arma, he's also at the beginning of Akala's Ma'angamizi, but you have to read that book because it is an essential reading to understand what happened to us. Um, like, we included links to Chancellor Williams' Destruction of Black Civilization because we feel like 2000 Seasons is the narrative version of that book. And it talks about the migrations that we've had to deal with. Forced migrations. Right, yeah. the forced migrations, which also coincides with Akala's Mangamizi. So we've included all that in there to, it's, it's all a synergy. It all works in your conscientization. So we recommend you read 2000 Seasons in conjunction with the destruction of Black Civilization. Exactly. And luckily, you have people like Conscientization 101 that can steer your Conscientization 101 because we didn't have the, uh, the for- we weren't fortunate enough to have somebody bring this about. I read 2000 Seasons way, way after I read uh, um, um, uh, Destruction of Black Civilization. Then I went back and started reading more on my, and then I listened to Akala, and then it all came together. I said, you know what? Destruction of civiliz- Black Civilization sounds a lot like 2000 Seasons. And then when you read more of, of Per Unk's offerings, that is the publishing, uh, uh, African publishing cooperative that publishes Ayikwe Ahmad's book. He built that himself with uh, with other like-minded people and friends. They built it themselves, that ideopraxis. You see what I'm saying? And when I read it, he was influenced and inspired by uh, Dr. Chancellor Williams, you know what I'm saying? Because that book is such a quintessential understanding of what happened to us. And also, it's a bunch of case studies in the book. That's what uh, Dr. Williams says. It's a bunch of case studies. And at the end, he has a, a what is called the plan. You see, it's not enough to say, oh yeah, we kings and queens. How do we lose our shit? Mm-hmm. How have we been reinculturated into African-Americans, Preto, Prato, chicken grease, whatever the white folks want to call us to separate us and say we not the same. They just got different ways they going to call they niggas. Yep. Okay? But when you read all this and put all this together, you see what I'm saying? And listen to what Dr. Marimba Ani was saying. They try to act like they universal. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's their silly. They always want to dominate you. Power for them is not the power to give life. It is power over others. Mm-hmm. 
Okay? But read all this literature because we say that because it's like this. Whenever you're trying to build with somebody, when you go to the doctor, you know what I'm saying? It, you, take, you take for granted that your doctor has a certain sense of training so that you trust his word. You see what I'm saying? So that if he does have to perform surgery, him or her have to perform surgery on you, you know that you can trust that they have a certain set of skills, that you trust their competency. And see, that's what we're trying to build. You see, when you're trying to build with people, you got to trust that they got a certain set of skills. You see what I'm saying? We're demonstrating to you, we have a certain set of skills. I know I done studied this stuff. I, nobody can challenge me on it. And you want to know why uh, Zara and myself get better? Because we continue to study. And we continue to study. There's no, the bourgeois conception of learning is that you do four years, you get your PhD and you're done. And then you sit up and you vegetate for the rest of your life. And you've made it in life. That's the life of an animal, okay? But we want to build with other like-minded people. But in order to build, just like when you get your workout partner at the gym, you don't want nobody who ain't never, ever seen no weight. You see what I'm saying? That would mean you a trainer. But see, when you working out with somebody, y'all supposed to push each other. And it's going to take little small groups around the globe coming together. And before you know it, you see what I'm saying? We done got, we, we done, Ma'afa is a part of our experience, but we have developed in spite of that. You see what I'm saying? And, and, and that's all I, I wanted to say on that. So, Sister Zara, you want to say Yes, I do. So, I know um, how Kwame Ture said in one of his lectures, in one of his lectures, that if you want to know, if you say you love your people, you need to know everything you, there is to know about your people. And you have people out here who, who, who posture, you know, like uh, Marimba Ani was talking about in the beginning, you know, these so-called leaders and like you said, it's so that they can get some type of appointment at a university, so they can be some kind of personality on the news and CNN. They don't really care about African people. They may give lip service to certain things, but they haven't really studied because they don't really care. At the end of the day, they don't know what they need to know because they don't care. They don't have a vision because they don't care. So at the end of the day, we have to have a real genuine love and care for our people. There are people out there who are genetically African, but they do not identify as African culturally, politically, and that 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 the, just means you a zombie, right? You're just a zombie. So those people, you just you can't even think about them. But at the end of the day, you do have to have a genuine love. You can't just be trying to make a career. Exactly, and I also want to add to that. Uh, if you see an African on mainstream news uh, chatting it up and stuff like that, we don't own that platform. Okay, we don't disseminate these ideas. I know this might come a shock to some of y'all, but uh, we don't own BET. Okay, <laughs> exactly. just because it's black folks own, you know, it was a lot of black folks on the plantation. Didn't mean we owned it, the tobacco company. And we don't own the CW either, because somebody told me that was a black channel. Yeah, just because, just because, <laughs> just because you picked the cotton don't mean you the owner of it. Okay, and all these black people that you see on the forefront. They are put out there as tools and conditioning apparatuses to tell other black people how they are to act. Uh, blackness, Africanity, cannot be shown in its true form under the white supremacist hegemony that we are on because it's too dangerous. Because it says that we would be sovereign, we would control our own, we would control our own affairs. So whatever Negro you see, I don't give a damn what they saying. I don't give a damn if he do piss white people off. You see what I'm saying? If he getting play out of it. 
And they sitting up having conversations with Negroes, having them on the cover of magazines, then you know it ain't for you. We, we're not moving like that. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have a lot of building to do and less talking to do. Because if we were building on our own definitions, we wouldn't be on television. There you go. So we're using somebody else's methods to try to say that we're getting the message out there, which I don't think half these people are trying to do, but that's what they say, you know. And what the hell is the message? Get a job. Yeah. We talking about we talking about taking over control of the coal tan mines that's ours in Congo. We talking about control of the, uh, our capital here in in the U.S. and other parts of the diaspora that may have us in these metropoles or these settler colonial nations or back in uh, 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 Europe proper. Do you see what I'm saying? And guess what? They are not going to tell everything that you get from the TV is telling black people how they need to adjust and assimilate. That's what y'all was, some of y'all was excited about Obama and saying my child can finally look up to something because he can finally assimilate. Because you don't see a future with Africa. And guess what? You've been following these people. They done put holes in the ozone layer and the original sin of this here, the America, was the genocide of the indigenous people and the kidnap colonization of us Africans and then to make the separators more they say what happened to us was slavery and what happened to our, our kinfolk back home was colonialism ain't that a bitch do you see how they even trying to get inside of your cognitive to say that you, what happened to you was different as opposed to your brothers and sisters should feel what happened to you and we should feel what happened to us back home it happened to us all in one experience you will never hear no Jews say that that was German Jews that experienced the Jewish Holocaust. They'll say it was the Jewish Holocaust. Hell, they call it the Holocaust, right? But we're the only one. Well, slavery happened to us and it colonial happened to us. I'm Barbadian. I'm an Afro-Portuguese. No, you are African. They got different ways to call you niggas so you will identify with your colonial master. Once you accept your Africanity and you understand power begins on the level of concession, you must build for it. That means you can't be on TV programs with your three-piece suit explaining why we say nigger and why niggers race. Whatever hell malarkey they got you on, what property do we own after them conversations? And why are you talking to them? Why are we trying? We, we have to tell them. We need to tell ourselves some kind of way we think we born with the type of culture we need to be successful as a group. No, 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 no. That's why people don't understand. People always say, well, Africans on the continent. What makes you think that over billions of us being dispersed across this world for all these damn centuries, that just because by proxy of being on the continent, they know what's up? You see what I'm saying? Don't you understand a lot of the great pan-African and African uh, revitalization of, 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 of study came from the diaspora? Not because we special Negroes now that we was with this special white man was because colonialism was a motherfucker. You feel me? Colonial, and then they didn't let us have nothing over there. And then Jim Crow and whatever else is a motherfucker. You see what I'm saying? Right after they came with the assimilationist thing, they came with the, that's with the neo-colonialism thing back home. So neo-colonialism and assimilation is the same thing. You see it, it's modus operandi throughout the whole world, okay? So I just want to say that. I don't want to belabor the point, 
But uh, yeah, Zari wanted to say something. I just have two more things. One thing is like when you said that they try to separate us, you got slavery and colonialism. They uh, they assign a value to it, right? Yeah. So colonialism, yeah. it, you know, it wasn't as bad as slavery or vice versa, which they both is both the same. When you look at how they both uh, operate, it's the same. Okay, so it's not one that's better than the other. Okay, so that's just malarkey. Don't listen to that. And then also, when you said, why are you talking to the oppressor? Like Maroon Bani said, their system is a closed system. And it's closed for them. So with it, with it being imposed as universal, it also gives them this position to where all they can do is impose on you. Because they don't know nothing else. That's okay, right. they don't. They believe in their universality. They don't. This is their culture, so they it, they can't. They can't. Um, all they do really is when they talk to you, is try to think of ways to impose their worldview back onto you, so that you can be tied back to them. That's all they do. So the effort to sit there and try to talk to them is like talking. Is really literally like talking to a, a brick wall. Well, also, even on a more, uh, uh, let's say, I also say the effort is futile because no matter if they was, had the greatest intention, they can't do shit for you. No, they can't. That's true. Let me tell you something. You the one who got a boo-boo for yourself. You got to take a piss on your own. You got to take a shit on your own. So even if they did have genuine feelings, and that's subject to debate, right? Even if they did, you still got to do the heavy lifting on your own with our people as a group and we can't look at individuals as group success group success you want to open up uh, possibilities for individuals open it up to the group first it's because the group is successful that the individual can realize their fullest potential not vice versa not vice versa and the, and the success let me define it it ain't to be like them I want my children to be just like them. Well, I'm sorry. You're not going to have rosy cheeks and golden hair. Some of y'all look like some freaks and of nature. And sky blue moment. eyes. There you go. So, not to belabor that point, but you see how Dr. When you mentioned Dr. Moran Bani, when you men- mentioned Aikwe Amar and Chancellor Williams, that's, oh, oh, I feel Ogun coming out. Let's bring out the machetes on these motherfuckers. Woo! All right. So, if you like that, don't forget, when you visit us at conscientization101.com or c101magazine.com, sign up to our mailing list for exclusive information and downloads. Hit up our store where you can download our free gift today. Remember, you can download, get all three tracks today. We're going to feature them on the Audio Praxis series, but you can get them today. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. Pick up your free gift. Pick up a t-shirt. Pick up a musical commentary or two. We'll be back in two weeks with the conclusion of Sister Marimba Anis Yurugu in our Audio Praxis series. We are out. Peace. Peace. Peace.